everything the Biden administration is obsessed with and fighting on all fronts is not real. It's made up stuff. Everything they should be worried about and fighting and working hard on, they're blowing off. It's absolutely incredible. They're obsessed with what we call the fake boogeymen. We'll get to them in a moment. But first, just a little while ago, Joe Biden had a great big press conference. And by any normal, reasonable standard, it was a disaster. It was weak. He was inarticulate. He contradicted himself. It was a all-out mess. Uh, but this might have been my favorite part, where he lied. He lied about that speech he gave just last week. This man has no respect for us. People heard the speech that you gave on voting rights in Georgia recently, in which you described those who are opposed to you to George Wallace and Jefferson Davis, and some people took exception to that. What do you say to those who were offended by your speech, and is this country more unified than it was when you first took office? Number one, anybody who listened to the speech, I did not say that there were going to be a George Wallace or a Bull Connor. I said we're going to have a decision in history that is going to be marked just like it was then. You either voted on the side, not didn't make you George Wallace or didn't make you Bull Connor, but if you did not vote for the Voting Rights Act back then, you were voting with those who agreed with Connor. Those who agreed with, with, and, and so, and I, I think Mitch did a real good job of making it sound like I was attacking them. He gets you know, tripped up in his him. own lie. We just saw the speech last week. We heard the comparison. He's trying to worm his way out of it because it doesn't feel right. Bad stuff. Anyway, that's just, uh, that's just kind of sad. And that's just, well, Joe being dishonest. Next, it's dangerous. What kind of signals is he giving uh, Vladimir Putin right now? You know they're on the verge of invading Ukraine. We don't want that to happen. Uh, but I think Joe might take this as a, a green light. But I'm not so sure he has uh, is certain what he's going to do. My guess is he will move in. He has to do something. My guess is Vladimir Putin will take that as a green light, huh? I'm no diplomat, but uh, it sounded to me like uh, it's up to you. It actually got worse. The way he's characterizing what happened in Crimea in 2014 on his watch. Listen to this. Russia will be held accountable if it invades. And it depends on what it does. It's one thing if it's a minor incursion and then we end up having a fight about what to do and not do, et cetera. But if they actually do what they're capable of doing with the force amassed on the border, it is going to be a disaster for Russia if they further invade Ukraine. All right. Uh, this is weak, weak stuff. Uh, it seems to be a bit of an invitation. Who knows? Again, I know they got a great big State Department. I know some of them were pulling their hair out when he was talking like this. It's got to be. This is not this was not designed for public consumption. Anyway, finally, this and then we'll move on. What are Republicans for? What are they for? Name me one thing they're for. How about strong borders? How about winning wars? How about life? How about freedom of speech? How about freedom? <laughs> Joe really doesn't think very much of the opposition party, does he? 
It was pretty sad. Now, the fake news will cover for him, but that was pathetic. And uh, if Donald Trump said half of that stuff, 10% of that stuff, there would be blood on the floor in newsrooms all over the place right now. They'd be freaking out and having a good time, by the way. But no, this is all in a day's work. All right, back to the fake boogeymen. What the Biden administration should not be talking about, but they are obsessed with. Number one, January 6th, full-time concern about January 6th. This hype, this exaggeration is hurting the rest of us. And they can't. They can't focus on the real priorities. We'll show you how in a moment. Also, cops, the idea that cops are racist, the idea that cops are fundamentally dysfunctional, that is wrong, and it's a great big waste of time. White supremacy, the threat posed by white supremacy, they can't stop talking about it. We could not find any legitimate pictures of genuine white supremacists in big numbers. We had to go back to the 1920s to find this, all right? It's just not a thing. White supremacy is terrible, but... Really? Climate change, the existential threat. Uh, Good luck with this one. China and India, they're the ones who are posing the most significant environmental threats, and they're the ones who are blowing off any restrictions imposed. This is a losing game, and there is a legitimate debate to be had about global warming. Voting. You know, we were able to vote just fine. Let's face it, they played all kinds of games with COVID and voting. But they're now they're pretending that people have been prevented from voting because of the color of their skin in this country in recent elections. That is a lie. So what about the significant real issues that they are blowing off? How about the threat from Islamic extremists, like the guy who took hostages in that synagogue in Texas? You know, the FBI initially denied that this would be terror-related, even though he was demanding the release of his terrorist sister from federal custody. It was clearly an act of terror, but they denied it. They denied it. How about what's happening in Afghanistan right now? Oh, yeah, the country we blew off and left the Taliban in charge. That is an open wound. Bail reform. Bail. <laughs> we should be reforming bail all over again, imposing it. You know, we have empty jails in America because of bail reform. Zero respect for the cops. Now, this is something that cries out for presidential leadership. You know where Donald Trump was on this. Joe Biden, he's going along with the far left of the party, has no respect for the police, says that the police are the source of the problems. What about what is happening overseas in Ukraine? Right now, Vladimir Putin is enjoying this. This guy, they're the superpower, it seems. China, Russia, maybe then the U.S.? This guy is calling the shots. We are reacting to him. He's not reacting to us. Anti-Semitism. It's overt. It's everywhere. And the squad documented cases. These are anti-Semitic women, and they are allowed to proceed unchecked. They are controlling the Democrat Party. These are the kinds of things that Joe Biden and his team should be fighting. Instead, they're fighting all these other fake issues. And here's a quick example. Merrick Garland, our attorney general, he has held three meetings with his entire department when he makes a special speech for his prosecutors all throughout the country. These are three of those moments, are three speeches, three moments from those speeches, familiar topics for this administration, uh, voting rights, existential threat posed by white extremists, and something else. 
We know that expanding the ability of all eligible citizens to vote is the central pillar. That means ensuring that all eligible voters can cast a vote, that all lawful votes are counted. In the FBI's view, the top domestic violent extremist threat comes from racially or ethnically motivated violent extremists, specifically those who advocated for the superiority of the white race. And as we prepare to mark a solemn anniversary tomorrow, it is a fitting time to reaffirm that we at the Department of Justice will do everything in our power to defend the American people and American democracy. January 6th, white supremacy, uh, voting. Look, he's doing this on our time with our dollars. This is the priority of the United States government. This is not just, oh, that's just a couple of speeches. No, there's substance and force behind these words. These are the priorities of the federal government. You know, you think, oh, but at the White House, they can walk and chew gum at the same time. They've got, they've got, their, they've got it all covered. They're just going to pay a little bit extra attention on this. It actually doesn't work that way. The White House, in a strange way, for the most part, is not operationally in control of too much. I used to work there for a couple of years back in, uh, let's see, 2005 to 2007. I was one of the White House correspondents and uh, I got to see how it worked. And uh, it's not the nerve center of the country. If you go inside the West Wing, I mean, the most important office in the world, uh, it looks like a mid-sized law firm with a couple of people walking around. There are not a lot of folks there. I know this sounds strange, but they are pushing the bureaucracy and the news media uh, with words for the most part. They can pick up the phone, make some things happen, but you'd be surprised how little they can actually make happen. It's all about the speeches. It's all about media. As far as actually running things, you probably have seen something like this in the movies or on TV, the Situation Room, right? I mean, wow, they, could, uh, they can do anything from the Situation Room. Not really. Uh, here's the real situation room. All right. <laughs> they, they got some TVs in there and they got some secure communications. Communications. The presidency is about communications. And we know that. Teddy Roosevelt, the bully pulpit, right? The bully pulpit. It is an important uh, bully pulpit. And you can shape the national conversation. You can propose legislation. You can, you can do things. And this is what Joe Biden is doing. And it's not impressive. And it's not American. This is simple. This is election subversion. It's the most dangerous threat to voting and the integrity of free and fair elections in our history. This wasn't a group of tourists. This was an armed insurrection. They weren't looking to uphold the will of the people. They were looking to deny the will of the people. Terrorism from white supremacy is the most lethal threat to the homeland today. The former president of the United States of America has created and spread a web of lies about the 2020 election. I will not yield. I will not flinch. I will defend the right to vote, our democracy against all enemies, foreign and, yes, domestic. We can no longer delay or do the bare minimum to address climate change. This is a global existential crisis. And we'll all suffer. We'll all suffer the consequences if we fail. 
this is it. The only thing we didn't put in there is uh, build back better, which uh, he lost on. This is what they talk about. This is what they push. This is the direction of the United States government. And all those things are phony, quite frankly, not worthy of a president's concern or attention. What did Donald Trump talk about? Donald Trump. I heard somebody say the other day, I think it was Kari Lake, who's running for governor in Arizona, that our founding fathers would totally prefer a guy like Donald Trump to Joe Biden for so many reasons, but also for the agenda. There is a growing humanitarian and security crisis at our southern border. Our southern border is a pipeline for vast quantities of illegal drugs. The United States has great strength and patience. But if it is forced to defend itself or its allies, we will have no choice but to totally destroy North Korea. We will never make excuses for America's enemies. We will never hesitate in defending American lives. And we will never stop working to defeat radical Islamic terrorism. Never. We will always defend the very first right in the Declaration of Independence, and that is the right to life. We will not allow people of faith to be targeted, bullied, or silenced anymore. And we will never, ever stand for religious discrimination. Never, ever. That is presidential. Presidential. All that's missing is the top hat. <laughs> All right. Uh, those, that's real. Those are real things. Existential phony baloney January 6th. That's, that's fakery. All right. Stay with us. We're going to talk about that young woman who was killed in L.A. needlessly. And we're going to talk about the media's responsibility and culpability in what happened here. There's a dangerous movement taking place in America, dismantling democracy, destroying our economy, stripping our freedom. Sean Spicer brings you an all-new book revealing Biden's dangerous plans for America. Radical Nation exposes the plan to turn America into a socialist nation and what you can do to stop them. President Trump says, if you want to save America, you must read this book. Get your free copy with this special offer. Go online or call the number on your screen. All I, All can, I can say, say is, is that, that the fake, fake news just, just doesn't, doesn't get, get it, do they? And more than not getting it, they're hurting us. I really do. They are hurting America. I think they have many times blood on their hands for their lack of responsibility, their carelessness. I'd like to talk about Brianna. Have you heard about that young woman who was killed at the furniture store in Los Angeles? Brianna Kupfer, just 24 years old. So an arrest has been made. They were looking for this guy who stabbed her to death uh, just the other day. This is him right after the murder. Uh, he's in custody. His name is Sean Smith. I believe we have his mugshot. There he is. A, uh, well, I guess you'd call him a career criminal. Take a look at these mugshots from over the past couple of years. Guy has done a lot of bad things, some violent crime, some robbery, some you name it. But there he was walking the street. Um, I wonder what was on his mind when he walked into that furniture store. He didn't take anything. He just, 
who just killed this girl. Allegedly. We don't know. We have to have a trial, but that's what it looks like right now. So um, what could have been in his mind? Well, let's talk about the national conversation. Things that have been mentioned on air, on your phone, everywhere. You heard about the Karen thing, right? Karen. What's a Karen? Karen is a white woman who uh, gets into an argument. Uh, Karen is a white woman who sticks up for herself. God forbid she gets angry at a person of color. Um, I don't know what happened in that furniture store, okay? But I just want to point out that the toxic, horrible treatment of white women that is sanctioned by our mainstream media could be playing a role in all of this. The violence that we're seeing everywhere. This is what they're saying about white women who dare either stick up for themselves or possibly make a mistake or possibly say something that's not perfect. Watch out. To all you Karens watching at home, please make a list for your white Santa and pray to your white Jesus for a life. Please, because we're out here living our best ones, fighting on the front lines to preserve democracy, taking up space at the highest levels of government. The Karendemic and everything that's been happening, we highlight Karenicity as a behavioral construct here because Karenism is dangerous. Social media is dubbing them Karens. Now the angry woman is being dubbed a Karen. I'm not allowed to behave in the way that these crazy Karens are behaving. What is being a Karen? You know, weaponizing victimhood. All right, so uh, that's pretty much racist, all of it. Very few people are standing up and pointing that out. So we have this. We also have, uh, oh, the systemic racism that's being pushed relentlessly. Systemic racism. Everything is racist in America. Everything. The battle to achieve racial justice and root out systemic racism in this country. There is systemic racism that must be weeded out. We've got to deal with the, with the issues of systemic racism throughout our society. It is systematic or systemic racism through many if not all of our institutions. You get the picture. You've heard it. I've heard it. Ever since uh, the spring of last year, everything is systemically racist. And the police, the police, the people we call when we need help, the people we call when we're in trouble, of course, they're racist. Need to protect themselves against uh, racist police officers. Modern policing, particularly in the South, and as you said, in certain parts of the Northeast, actually evolved out of the slave patrols. To understand American policing today is really to tell a story that comes out of slavery. This kind of nonsense has always been out there, but it usually was in like the corner of academia, which has always been liberal and a little bit wacko, or you could find it on some blog. But now you find it on CBS, NBC, ABC all the time. And when offensive things are said about white women or police of any color, uh, a lot of people just sit there. It's crazy. This is crazy talk. Now, add this into the mix. I was not familiar with this, but um, apparently, uh, well, just saying hello to somebody might make them angry. You deal with what we call microaggressions or uh, a thousand cuts of racism every single day. Stereotype threat, microaggressions, all redlining, you know, glass ceilings, all these sort of things that we're dealing with every day. We need to address microaggressions that are placed on black women. We need to address these racial stereotypes. 
these everyday forms of racism or microaggression, uh, they happen so routinely that they almost seem benign. This is what it is to be black in America, which is a series of microaggressions. There's levels of microaggressions and levels of implicit bias that black people deal with every day. All right, can we get real here? This is 2022, not 1902. We've come a long way. Um, can there be friction from time to time? Yes. But this is not America. But they've made it America. They've created it. The mainstream media, the left, people of all races on the left have brought on this moment. And now mainstream companies like Comcast, which runs NBC Universal, which runs NBC and MSNBC, will bring you this kind of programming. This is yes. a typical case of a white woman, white womaning, right? So we see the disrespect, we see the privilege. White women have taken an active role in the maintenance of white supremacy. When you're a white woman and you're a Republican, there's just certain stuff culturally that you don't know jack bleep about. And My advice to white women is, man your own goddamn business. Uh, we're okay with this? We're okay with this? Oh, by the way, not all of that was NBC programming. Oh, but this is Joy Reid, an outright bigot who's on TV right now, as I speak, over on MSNBC. In America, there's a thing about both white vigilantism and white tears, particularly male white tears. Really white tears in general, because that's what Karens are, right? They Karen out, and then as soon as they get caught, it's like, <laughs> green waterworks. White men can get away with that, too. She really seems to uh, have a lot of hate in her heart. And she also has a TV show for now on MSNBC. So all this nonsense is happening. This conversation, this national conversation, right? A teaching moment. George Floyd, a teaching moment. And in walks Brianna to her part-time job at that furniture store, a 24-year-old girl. Now, what's on Mr. Smith's mind? He's allegedly responsible for her stabbing death. I don't know, but it's most conceivable that he's heard a lot of this stuff. And he suddenly believes that everything is systemically racist. And he's enduring microaggressions all day long. And by the way, these are very valid questions. Because let's take the Asian American community. Now, as you know, the far left has said the attacks on the Asian American community, and there have been attacks on Asian Americans, were driven by Donald Trump. Donald Trump. And how did he bring this on? By saying that the COVID-19, the virus came from Wuhan, came from the lab and called it the China virus. Now, diseases are typically named for the region they come from, the Ebola virus. The Ebola virus, Ebola is a river in Africa. Lyme disease, that's a town in Connecticut. That's where it actually comes from. Scientists do that all the time. China virus. It's not racist, but uh, the very real anti-Asian attacks you've seen, they're Trump's fault. Uh, let's, uh, let's check in on that, right, right? You remember this conversation, this phony one, by the way. We, we know that uh, racist anti-Asian 
a hashtag spiked after uh, Trump first tweeted the term Chinese virus. It was not helpful that last year you had a former president of the United States use racist phrases like Kung flu. Particularly the rhetoric we've heard from our former uh, president, specifically blaming and, you know, using Asian people as scapegoats for the spread of the coronavirus. Former President Trump's rhetoric led to a spike in anti-Asian rhetoric. This is directly attributable to the former president's narrative and rhetoric around the COVID uh, pandemic. When Donald Trump started using this uh, China virus uh, terminology, uh, the anti-Asian hate on Twitter went up 900 percent. OK, uh, that's the left. That's what they think. Uh, that's just on ancient history. This is last week. This is our new mayor in New York City. What a trip this guy's going to be. Uh, we got problems here in New York. But um, his message to the Biden administration, they need to do something about what Trump said. The president right now should stand up and say, on behalf of the American people, we apologize to the Chinese community. We had a president of the United States that called COVID, the Chinese disease. He used it, he used term and hatred terminology. Chinese disease. Oh, how hateful, how prejudiced can you get? It's nonsense, of course. So let's go through uh, some of the high profile anti-Asian attacks like this one outside of San Francisco. Two guys and another guy shows up to beat up an elderly Asian man uh, here in the city, New York City. Um, two Asian women are accosted on a sidewalk for no apparent reason. Next, uh, a woman standing on the subway is approached by this guy, gets a, uh, a good shove and then a punch. Uh, moving on, this was famous, uh, terrible. She gets beaten up. She's Asian. And the guy, the doorman, just closes the door. Nobody helps her. After this, a woman on a sidewalk. Actually, uh, this is a, a Philadelphia subway. And uh, for whatever reason, these women are really mad at these uh, teenage Asian kids. Uh, also, uh, look at this. She's about to get a punch right there. Terrible. We believe she was in a coma. This is a New York City subway train. Uh, not sure what provoked this, but it's uh, it was an Asian victim. Next, a, uh, a young Oh, the basketball incident in Orange County, California. Watch. Minding her own business. Boom. Goes down. After that, uh, another uh, subway attack here in New York City. This woman's from Thailand. She's a model. Uh, looked at somebody the wrong way. This happened just the other day. Uh, you may think they're having a conversation or <laughs> this is a romantic encounter. It's not. Uh, he's threatening her and punching her. Actually, I'm sorry, the person in the red pants, we believe, is a woman. This happened at a 7-Eleven last year. Uh, the Asian clerk is being pummeled. Uh, let's see. After this, we have another incident. Oh, this is at the L.A. County Sheriff's Office. A corrections guard who happens to be Asian gets sucker punched. Uh, she got right back up, though. She's one tough cookie. And then in New York, Michelle Go. This happened just a few days ago. A uh, young woman pushed onto the subway tracks by some guy who thought he was God. Now, we looked at all these cases, and uh, there is a spike. And we found something. Um, well, based on demographics, it is possible we could infer that these were not Trump supporters who uh, are accused of the violence not Trump supporters. What's happening here? 
I'd like to know. Let's have an honest conversation about this problem. We'll be right back. Real heroes. Real conflict. Real threats. Real heart. Now, there's a place America gets its news. No agenda. Just the facts. Newsmax. Real news for real people. That's uh, Letitia James, the state attorney general in New York, and she's trying to make a name for herself uh, by going after the Trumps and uh, issuing subpoenas, saying no one's above the law, and uh, she wants to talk to Don Jr., the president, and Ivanka. It's incredible. This is clearly prosecutorial harassment. We'll show you in a moment. Isn't it wild, though, that these folks who are involved in international business decades before they entered politics um, are now suddenly the subject of criminal probes? And Hunter Biden, who has, uh, well, we know he's a criminal. He's been arrested. And by the way, sorry, but so has Ashley. Um, no investigation. The mainstream media, uh, everybody says they're, they're just fine. Apparently, there is a federal investigation underway about Hunter by some very friendly U.S. attorneys in Delaware about a tax matter. We don't believe that has any teeth. So, Letitia James is going after the Trumps, and I think it's prosecutorial harassment. I think she should be disbarred. When you go around saying something like this, making these statements, are you really worthy of being a prosecutor? Will you sue him for us? Oh, we're going to definitely sue him. We're going to be a real pain in the ass. I will never be afraid to challenge this illegitimate president. We need to focus on Donald Trump. We need to follow his money. What is fueling my soul right now is Trump. This illegitimate president. I look forward to going into the office of attorney general every day, suing him and then going home. What the hell is that all about? I mean, you have to take like when you pass the bar exam to be a lawyer, I think they give you ethics evaluations and you can't talk like that. I don't think when you're a lawyer, this is crazy stuff. The attorney general of New York is very cynical, though, getting into, yeah, the racial politics of it all. They use somebody like her because they think it's harder for, well, folks to question a female person of color. That's what this comes down to in part. Yeah, that's uh, that's a factor here. Uh, we should not be afraid. We shouldn't be afraid of anything. And uh, oh, Joe Biden, by the way, I think he's afraid of his own shadow these days. Uh, you know, he goes to Delaware one quarter of the time. Did you hear about that? One quarter of the time he's been in Delaware, his first year in office. What about all that? I will not rest until I get this done. I will fight for you. Delaware, one quarter of the time. Now, what the, re the rejoinder is, well, Donald Trump, he played all that golf, right? President Trump spent today at his golf resort, which he did as well yesterday, and the day before that. In fact, today marks the 94th day President Trump has visited one of his golf clubs. That's over 26% of all the days of his presidency. President Trump has not uh, golfed, as far as we know, for uh, more than two months now. That's his longest stretch without golfing uh, during his presidency. Uh the president is taking some heat for golfing this Memorial weekend. President Trump seems to have played golf at least 10 times in his first two months. We're able to quantify broadly just how much golf this president plays, or should I say just how much work he's been doing throughout his presidency. 
All right, so they don't like that he played golf, but they don't ever consider that he was a uh, golf course owner, designer, proprietor. He, uh, that was his business. And I've never golfed with him, by the way, but I hear it's not relaxing, all right? He's extremely intense. He never stops talking. He's got energy that's off the charts. He's different physiologically, I think, for most people. That's a compliment. Um, he doesn't relax. So, and he gets work done on the, on the golf course. I'm told my career would be a lot better if I knew how to golf. <laughs> Haven't you heard that? Hasn't somebody in life gotten promoted because they were really good at golf and they played with the boss? I've heard of that happening. Anyway, there's business being done on the golf course. He's not loafing. Uh, Barack Obama, by the way, played a lot of golf, uh, but he wasn't working on the golf course. Uh, Barack Obama was out there alone or with that small group of people he liked because Barack Obama did not like people. He did not like politics and he did not like people. Does not like people. It's true. One of his top aides said this famously. The truth is Obama doesn't call anyone and he's not close to almost anyone. It's stunning that he's in politics because he really doesn't like people. Neera Tandon, and she wasn't an intern. She was a big deal. Joe Biden wanted to make her the director of the Office of Management and Budget. So uh, anyway, let Trump play golf. He's actually working. Joe, maybe it's better off that he's in Delaware when you think about it. All right. Hey, Andre Leon Talley died. He was 73 years old. Have you heard about this guy? He was really, in my book, very cool. Um, he was a fashion journalist. And guess what? He was a friend of Trump's. Uh, at least they socialized a bit here in New York. And I remember seeing these pictures of uh, the Donald with uh, Andre Leon Talley. And, well, I'll tell you why that's important in a moment. But first, this is what Andre Leon Talley sounded like. He had a big, booming voice, six foot six tall. I called him Andre the Giant. And he wore this cape. Uh, <laughs> he was kind of big, but somehow it all worked. Take a look. And it's called the Bell du Jour, but actually, that looks like a pilgrim's buckle. It does look I'm like a pilgrim's buckle. I'm hold them up for everybody because yeah. you can't see them. Now, uh, you know what's so cool about that? You can get what? these, it's, oh, it's just about maybe under $700. $700 and that's a for these? For a what's so special about these shoes? What is special about these shoes is that Catherine Deneuve wore them in a movie called Bell du Jour. Jackie Onassis and her sister Lee Radzewa wore them and made them famous back in the 60s. Now, one, these th shoes, one thing, Andre, they do not make you uh, much taller. No, but that's what's good about it. Because flats are really, if you were born to wearing stilettos, you would have had a different kind of foot. Did you say Roger Vivier? Roger Vivier. Roger, Roger Vivier. Not Roger. Roger. Spelled Roger. Roger. Sorry Roger. for the beret. I don't know what I was thinking, but uh, he was a great character. He was open-minded. He didn't judge people. He liked Democrats. He liked Republicans. And I tell you, he was kind of chummy with President Trump and Melania. Uh, beautiful events that they attended together. And I think that's... Uh, that's really, really great. Fast forward to where we are right now, 2022. We got this new deputy press secretary, Corrine Jean-Pierre. Uh, everybody loves her uh, on the left. I think we have a picture of her making a briefing at the White House. There she is. And uh, I thought of something that she said before she became the White House press secretary, deputy press secretary. She's promoting a book, and she made a special video uh, about it. And, and anyway, she took a shot at Trump. Watch. When I walk around this place, it still gives me chills. It feels like just yesterday when it was packed with more than a million Americans hopeful about our future. The doors to the halls of power were beginning to open up 
People like me walked through and for the first time felt like we belonged. The man who is now sitting in the building I used to work in hates everything that I am. A black gay immigrant woman. The man in the Oval Office hates everything she is. A black gay immigrant woman. Now, if, if she wants to feel like a victim, and I think that's what she wants to feel like, uh, have at it. But Donald Trump doesn't hate you because of those things. He doesn't. This guy is the most focused on the person, not the package. I know this firsthand. And all types of people, gay, straight, immigrant, native born, it didn't matter. If you had something to say, President Trump wanted to listen, wants to listen. It's true. Andre Leon Talley, rest in peace. We'll be right back. Liberty-loving American takes on Washington, Hollywood, and the whole media establishment. He's Chris Salcedo. Join his fight. Tune in to The Chris Salcedo Show every weekday afternoon on Newsmax. Resisting arrest in New York City. Uh, that was uh, a bad thing to do. You can get yourself in more trouble at one point. Not anymore. Our new district attorney says uh, this will not be a crime. <laughs> Alvin Bragg is his name, and uh, it looks like he's crazy, but he is the new district attorney for New York County, and he thinks a whole host of things like armed robbery should not entail prison sentences uh, in a lot of circumstances. He's just one of them. They're all over the place. Interesting piece in the New York Post this week. It goes like this, cracking the case of the woke prosecutor. What is up with these people? Really, what is their motivation? One of the most puzzling conundrums about progressive prosecutors who favor de-prosecution and de-incarceration is to ascertain their motivations. What are they thinking? I'd like to bring in the writer of this article. His name is Tom Hogan, a former federal prosecutor, former elected district attorney for Chester County, Pennsylvania. Sir, great piece. And welcome to the show. How are you? Good. How are you? Terrific. So, um, all right. You've, I know you've got four possibilities. Take us through them. What's happening here? This does seem totally crazy, totally new. What are they thinking? Well, you know, in this case, what we're really talking about is basic incompetence. <laughs> and that's the point of the article, is that these folks don't know what they're doing. But what I did was I said, all right, let's examine the evidence for what is actually driving these prosecutors using an old, uh, an old tool called Occam's razor. So the first one is, are they racist? If you look at somebody like Philadelphia's district attorney, Larry Krasner, he of course claims to be an anti-racist and everything he's doing is meant to protect minority communities. But what actually is happening underneath him, over 85% of the murder victims in Philadelphia are black. So essentially what this anti-racist prosecutor is doing is he is killing black people. And more specifically, he is killing poor black people. So the first question is, are they racist? Is that really what they're trying to accomplish? And once again, it comes back to somebody who's merely incompetent. But the second question is, all right, maybe they're just really fiscal conservatives. You look at Kim Fox, she had over 800 homicides in Chicago this year. Well, to solve a homicide and convict somebody, the all-in costs are between seven 
and $16 million. And that counts everything from investigation to incarceration. While under Kim Fox, out of those 800 homicides, you're solving maybe 40% of them. So she's literally saving Chicago billions of dollars <laughs> by not doing her job. And, and something, she, something tells me she's not a fiscal conservative. I don't think that's her motivation. So let's scratch a couple of these off the list. Uh, it's not about fiscal conservatism. Uh, they're not particularly cared about people of color. Um, I think possibly, and I, I, you may raise this, are they insane? <laughs> you mentioned incompetence. Are they crazy? Or, I mean, they went, one of these guys went to Harvard Law School. I guess that's not saying much anymore. Bottom line is what? Is it George Soros put him up to it? What is at the heart of this? You said incompetence. Is there anything more sinister? No, it really just is incompetence. These folks don't know what they're doing. They don't understand how to run a district attorney's office. A DA's office is a big, complex organization. And before Krasner took office, I remember I've known Krasner for 20 years. And I reached out to him and called and said, look, you're about to enter into something that's very difficult. It's like running a, a nuclear aircraft carrier. Um, and he simply never responded. And the first time I saw him at a meeting uh, was with federal, federal Hyde meeting. You know, he walked in late um, and he walked out early um, because he wasn't really interested in any of serious prosecution. It's, but he then said out of nowhere, you know what? I'm sorry I missed your call, but I think I know what I'm doing. All right. <laughs> he's arrogant, was, too. He doesn't know what he's know doing, what doing. And he's arrogant as well. It's a horrible, horrible combination. But Tom Hogan, it's a fascinating piece in this week's New York Post. It came out earlier in the week. You can find it online. We appreciate it so much to be continued. This problem, unfortunately, is not going away anytime soon. Thank you, sir. Absolutely. We'll be right back. So the press conference uh, late this afternoon, Joe Biden, he was terrible. The media were terrible. A couple of exceptions, though. One, our own James Rosen, the new White House correspondent for Newsmax. Listen to his question and watch Joe squirm and, and not really answer. Thank you very much for this honor. James Rosen with Newsmax. I'd like to, um, I'd like to raise a delicate subject uh, but with utmost respect for your life accomplishments and the high office you hold. A poll released this morning by Politico Morning Consult found 49% of registered voters disagreeing with the statement, Joe Biden is mentally fit. Wow. Not even a majority of Democrats who responded uh, strongly affirmed that statement. Well, I'll let you all make the judgment whether they're correct. Well, Thank so you. the question I have for you, sir, if you'd let me finish, is why do you suppose such large segments of the American electorate have come to harbor such profound concerns about your cognitive fitness? Thank you. I have no idea. Yes, sir. That's it. Very, very appropriate question. Beautifully expressed. I think we deserve a real answer, Joe. James Rosen, our new White House correspondent. And we'll be right back. Well, thank you again. We're having fun, right? And uh, it's important as well, I think, what we're doing here. Thank you all. See you tomorrow. Stand by for Stitch.